Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Lord God, we thank you again um, that you are great. You are worthy of all worship, honor, and praise. We thank you for the gospel of, of your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, that Lord, every day that we exi- every day we live, Lord, uh, we th- uh, we pray and we understand and we think about again uh, that we were lost in our sins, that we were worthy of judgment, that we had that burden on our back of sin, uh, and we were condemned and lost. And we thank you again that it's because of you, because of your grace, your sovereign grace, that Lord, you uh, rescued us by sending your Son to be a uh, to live a perfect, uh, righteous life in our, on our behalf, Lord God, and to <clears throat> be crucified, to take that sin debt upon himself, the sin that, the, the, the punishment that we were due, Christ took upon himself at Calvary. He died in our place, Lord God, and he was resurrected on the third day, and his resurrection is our resurrection. So we thank you this morning that we are in Christ. We are joined again by the Holy Spirit. Uh, to receive all the benefits, all the blessings that come from that your, your son has achieved. And, and, uh, and we just bless you and thank you again that we, uh, are, uh, we can come before you this morning uh, and again, as your people and to give you praise and thanks and to, to uh, pray and learn again about uh, how you've saved a, uh, a people who only deserve your justice. So again, we thank you for Christ and it's his name we pray this morning. Amen. All right, so we're going to do something a little different, and I'm not uh, going to ask you any study questions this morning. I don't want to start spoiling you. I think I'm going to throw out Funyuns every single time we have class, though I will probably periodically think of something a little unusual because that's how I roll. Um, but I do want to do something a little differently, is that I want to start the, the class off with a high-tech presentation um, and use one of our screens and show you a video clip from uh, this, pres- uh, this mo- uh, video here called... Pilgrim's Progress, and it's going to cover a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today, and I'm being a little facetious this morning about the high-tech part, because um, I, I, when I talked with the powers of be about what I could do and things differently and so on, they assured me that I could do almost anything, and so we have all this technology and all these different ways that we could talk about Pilgrim's Progress, and the sky was the limit. Well, the sky is pro- obviously pretty low right now, because... We have one screen here that will not coordinate with this screen over here. And originally I thought I could take both of the, um, the what do you call these things? Uh, you know, the dealy bopper thing. And um, <laughs> see how old I'm getting. Hey, I'm going to throw in the dealy bopper. Okay, so, um, and then simultaneously press the on button and it would work. No. Okay, so anyway, those of you on this side, you're going to have to like really, really strain to see whatever is going on here. And, and we're going to go through this. But I'll try to get the volume up as loud as I possibly can. And we will not always do this because I know for, maybe for some of you, this is somewhat sacrilegious to play a video during uh, Sunday school class because I don't think we've ever done one for adults in school in a long time. So here we go. And I'll leave it on that note right there. <laughs> all right, so that's where we're going today. Uh, we're going to try to get to all the way through uh, maybe at... Uh, the slough or the slough, the despond. We'll see how our story goes here. All right, so everybody should have a handout, either a physical copy or 
the actual uh, a paper copy. I tried to get made, make enough, but apparently I'm always under that. So I apologize if you didn't get a, uh, one, and maybe I'll, I'll print out some more for next week. So we, your outline says this is Pilgrim's Progress, Chapter 1. Here we go. Okay, the author was a spiritual pilgrim, and we've been talking about that. And in, on the outline, you'll see, you'll see a, a talicized text, and that's actually taken from the book itself. And uh, Bunyan's going to write, he says, as I walk through the wilderness of this world. And so the last couple times we've been talking about what is a pilgrim. And I have a quote here, and it says, kind of summarizes it again. All Christians are pilgrims heading to the celestial city. Bunyan was simply reflecting the Bible that he loved. Scripture affirms that Christians are pilgrims. In the covenant he made with our father Abraham, God promised him Canaan as the land of your sojournings. And in the New Testament, Peter reflects the same idea when he describes his readers as elect exiles, 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, similarly, in reviewing the faithful believers of the Old Testament history, the author of Hebrews refers to them as strangers and exiles. And you've heard this over and over and over again from the pulpit or from your, your Bible reading. And just again, you already know again, this world ain't our home. We're just a passing through. Uh, we're on this journey. We're on this pilgrimage. Um, and again, that should influence and affect the way that we look at the world, how we understand our lives uh, from a Christian perspective. And then the writer goes on and says here, the Christian life is a road trip. I never thought you'd, thought you'd think the, you know, the Christian life is a, is a road trip, but a journey of the most exhilarating kind, it's a starting, it has a starting point and a terminus. It's a metaphor of movement. Christians do not stay in one place too long for they are set for another location. Early Christians were referred to as followers of the way a reflection that they, seem, that they seem determined to follow a different path, and of course, a ref, uh, that's an early uh, designation for the early church, the uh, followers of the way. Then he goes on to talk about a den. And so it's in the, the quote there is in, in Pilgrim's Progress, it says, I came upon a certain place where there was a den, and I laid down in that place to sleep, and as I sleep, slept, I dreamed a dream, I dreamed. And so the den is a metaphor, a symbol again for the prison, for Bedford Prison, where Bunyan was uh, 12 years a prisoner there. And he sees a man, and I've got some, uh, well, I've, I've tried to put some visuals in here. There's lots and lots of different pictures of Pilgrim's Progress. Um, some are old wood cuttings, so a lot of them are, are more modern adaptions to that. And it's interesting, the man's clothed in rags. And again, that's a very, very common biblical metaphor. That, you know, think about, you know, and you, the, one of the verses with this is that for all of us have become like one who's unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are, are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like, page two, wind take us away, Isaiah 64, 6. Then, as the video showed, it showed that the uh, Christian, the main, the, the, uh, the main character here, whose originally name is Graceless, before he becomes Christian, he's known as Graceless, to stand with his face turned away from his own house with a book in his hand and a great burden on his back. And so this is, again, the representation everybody typically sees, again, at the beginning of the story, where you have Christian with this big burden on his back. And usually the portrayals are always a little bit iffy to me. Like this one here you saw, it looks like he's got a bunch of pillows on his back, you know, um, or it's like he's got a big backpack, you know, uh, something like that. And yet the burden is crushing. Okay, the burden is, is um, it's, uh, inhibiting him. It's, in fact, you have that little line there. It says it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, all right? And to the point where a lot of times with, with Christian, uh, his motivation is to, to escape the city of destruction, but also the, the burden is, is just, it's, he's got to get rid of that. It's got to go away. It's got to be somehow dealt with. And leading up to when he, until he gets to the wicked gate and the, the hill of delivery, you'll have um, various options about trying to remove that burden, okay? 
And so the question naturally is going to be is, well, what's the burden? What's the burden? Who wants to take a shot at that one? Sin. Sin. There you go. Right. And um, there's a number of verses that tie into this, and especially, and we'll, we're going to look at this. Uh, what should, this is from uh, Romans 7, 7. What should we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not known about coveting if the law had said, thou shalt not covet. And you'll know again, uh, the awareness of his burden is connected to the book. The book, the book. He's, written this, he's constantly reading the book. And there's something that's happening in that transaction, in that, in that exposure to the book. And, of course, you have the wife who's basically, um, we'll get to the family here in a little bit, um, but it's not good. And his wife is basically taunting him and criticizing him, saying, you keep reading that book. It's just making you, it's making it worse. It's making you more miserable. It's making you, you can't sleep. You're, 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 uh, you're in, in despair. And basically, we think you're a little crazy. Right? And so the book is, for the family, a problem. But for Christian, it's actually exposing something that's there they wasn't aware of before. Right? And the reason I want to bring this up, and we get to a couple of verses here too, um, there's a book, another book, uh, by Michael Horton called Christless uh, uh, Christianity. And some of you probably have read this before, Christless Christianity. And um, it's an interesting analysis, again, of the, the evangelical church. And his, and let me just kind of give you just a little taste of what he's talking about here. But he talks about the American church in general. Uh, uh, Horton's description of that or analysis of that is that for the most part, evangelical uh, Christianity and its message is moralistic, therapeutic deism. Okay, moralistic, therapeutic deism. And, and the, the, the breakdown on that, real quickly, is just uh, like, number one, God created the world. So most people, again, in the church would believe that. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and most world religions. So again, there's no exclusive thing as far as between Christianity and other world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when needed to resolve a problem. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. And so that, again, is a description of, and I think he's accurate, he basically looks at Robert Shore, kind of going back to all that, uh, you know, the positive thinking kind of stuff. But he goes going to, to Joe Olstein and others, basically, who are teaching this um, neutered, I'm going to use the word neutered, uh, twisted, uh, therapeutic moralism that's a false gospel. And why am I bringing this up is because part of the thing about the burden to me is intriguing because a um, number of the, the people I talk to, especially a lot of young people I talk to, when we talk about um, their testimony, right, their testimony, you know what a testimony is, right? Everybody has a testimony, right? This, their story, how God saved them, right? And it's interesting how many of those testimonies have no burden. There's no burden which scares me, all right? Because again, um, why do you need a savior if there's nothing to be saved from, right? And so it's interesting again is that we live in a time again where we have a tearless repentance and we have a Christless Christianity and we have a burdenless, uh, again, salvation. And so it's, uh, one of the, again, we'll be talking about, you know, this, this, uh, this awareness, this moral awareness, this working of the Holy Spirit, who shows, again, our true spiritual condition. And, again, when that work, that work of conviction is happening, again, it is this huge burden. This is this, this awareness of something that, again, is going to send me straight to hell. 
if God does not save me. And that's that urgency you see in the video, and that's the urgency you see in the book, is that, again, Christian is desperate here. But it's interesting, again, the type of Christian we have kind of in the culture a little bit is tame. And it's basically, it's like, you know, uh, I, have my, I, have, uh, I want, the, the, again, that Americanized version of the gospel where, again, it's, uh, you know, I, I got my God box and I got my Jesus box and I, get, and I have my other stuff over here, too. And, uh, again, it's going to, um, I don't have to worry about all these other things the Bible talks about when it's connected to the gospel. And, of course, these verses here, too. Now, going back to Galatians chapter 3, this is on your outline, page 2. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. But the scripture has shut up all men under sin, that the promise by faith uh, in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And then you have uh, from the Psalms, verse 38:4, For my iniquities have gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. And then finally, uh, Matthew 11:28, a beautiful verse, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? So my point, I guess, part of this is that, you know, did you have a burden? You know, did you have a burden? Because I know I had a burden. And again, uh, when you talk about, again, how God saved you, when you talk about how, you know, that, that process of, again, where you read the book, right, or you heard it preached, or someone shared the gospel with you and shared scripture with you, and the Spirit of God began working in your heart and mind, you saw, again, um, your desperate need for righteousness, Right? And, you, and God brought conviction where he showed you again is that God would be perfectly just to send you to hell because of that burden, because of that sin. And the reason I bring this up again, because in our culture today, that is really unpopular to say those kind of things. It's very negative, makes people feel bad, right? You don't want to offend them, right? But again, when you look at what the scripture actually says about our condition outside of Christ, we are in huge trouble. And that burden, again, exists whether you feel it or not. You're still guilty before a holy God. And so um, the next line here, point four here, is where did this spiritual insight and awareness, a real spiritual burden and grief over sin, he wept and trembled, come from? And you have here a quote, I saw the man open the book and read, and as he read, he wept and trembled and cried mournfully, what shall I do to be saved? Okay, what shall I do to be saved? That is a wonderful statement. You think of the Philippian jailer, right? Okay, but again, uh, the working of the Holy Spirit in someone's heart where again, they, they, they see the truth and they cry out to God, you know, God save me. You know, again, and you see this in the beginning of the story is that Christian for a while doesn't quite know what to do until God sends someone to point him in the right direction. Now, I have a quote here as well. The great burden on his back is the weight of guilt he began to feel before God, uh, before God over his own sin. He did not begin, uh, begin, begin staggering under this load until he began to read from the book, his copy of God's Word. At this point, he had blissfully pursued the same self-centered, worldly lifestyle of his neighbors in the city of destruction, never once imagining himself to be at odds with his Maker. But now the scriptures have shown him how miserably short he has fallen from God's glory, how grievously he has broken God's law, and how desperate is his condition under God's wrath. It is this burden which drives the man to flee from his home, that he might find relief through Christ, who waits him on the other side of the wicket gate, and to free him of this heavy load. And again, this is, this is important to understand. Because again, when a Christian is going on the pilgrimage, when he's on this journey, he'll run into people constantly. He'll run into different characters. And one thing they'll, they'll, in the interaction typically is a Christian says, you didn't have a burden. You didn't have a burden. 
or you don't have the scroll of assurance, or you don't have the markings, again, that, um, that show that you're a true pilgrim, right? And so the reason I'm bringing this up again is that that's one thing Bunyan's trying to do is say there's a difference between a false pilgrim and a true pilgrim. And there's a lot of false pilgrims today. But it's very unpopular. Yeah, Jeff? Yeah, what do you do about people, you, you mentioned that, um, that people don't have this burden. That yeah. I didn't have that burden. Yeah. Uh, I can name a lot of great Christians. Uh, Justin Martyr, who did have that burden. Yeah. What do you tell people like us after making a pretty strong right. statement like you just made? I did. Yes. And, and going back to what you said about Spurgeon, where yeah. Spurgeon himself even said that a lot of Bunyan struggles right. were of his own imagination, not the Right. Um, good question. Um, there has to be an awareness of sin. You, there has to be awareness of sin. If the Spirit of God is showing us our true spiritual condition outside of Christ and we've broken God's commandments, there has to be some sense of, bro some sense of moral guilt. There has to be. Okay, so again, to what degree that, that's, that um, they wrestle with that or how deep that is or how long that is, um, it varies. But, it, but my, my concern, again, is that there's no moral guilt. There's no sense, again, that I have offended a holy God. Um, there's this casualness with, with God where I, that's why I use the word neuter, or we've made God, he's not a threat, he's God of love. He just loves me, um, he's gonna, he understands I make mistakes, and I fall, and then we, uh, and I'm imperfect, but somehow, if I'm just a good person, or if I go to church, if I do certain things, somehow, some way, he's gonna let me into heaven. And going back to your thing about Justin Martin, Justin Martin's kind of a controversial, you already know that. Um, you know, his background, you know, with philosophy and so on, um, but for the majority of, again, you look at church history, there's always some kind of crisis or there's some kind of awareness or some kind of um, point where you see again your need for Christ and you understand that the, the, the um, of the need for repentance there has to be repentance of some of some you know and so that's when we talk about the law next the law shows us our sin like Romans 7 okay so when we talk about personal experiences again I don't want to like measure up I'm talking again it seems like in our culture again is that um, there's no when we talk about the conviction of sin and the awareness by the power of the Holy Spirit, again, of my life in comparison to the holiness of God, there's something wrong here. You know, are you following me? Yeah, yeah. But, but can I come after? Because like, sure. with me and a lot of other people, yeah. they, they just, they, they learn about Christianity, and it makes sense. This is what I've been looking yeah. for my whole life. It right. makes so much sense. Yeah. And I believe it. Yeah. And then the Lord's knowledge of sin started to right. after that. Yeah. So, and a lot of people, that, that's their experience. Sure. You know, trying to nail down a, a Puritan psychology yeah. and, and attach it to the Bible saying everybody has to go through this. Right. I think it is right. And I, I want to be careful on that, but I'm just saying that these are the basic rudiments that you still have to, that you do see. Right. Okay. Right. They're, 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 they do. Because I'm talking about people who have been in the church a long time or people who have been um, in, you know, they've been exposed to Christian for a long time. And they're 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 um, they're numb to God, okay? They don't pray, right? There's no um, there's I mean literally uh, again. And I don't want to compare. This is a, a little bit of the danger of comparing experiences again. But when you look at, for example, Psalm 51, Psalm 51 again is, is brutal. And there's other Psalms again where um, you see for the very first time your shame, your guilt. You feel it in a certain way. It drives you to your knees. Um, you cry out to God. There's that Psalms again. Um, there's an emotional re, uh, response to God that's appropriate. Um, 
And of course, it leads to the cross. It leads to, there, it leads to forgiveness. It's not about wallowing in your sin. And somehow that's, that's, that's a, a, you know, going the penance route. You know, pretty much if I, if I suffer enough, then somehow God at some point is going to reward me with some kind of forgiveness or some kind of reward and that kind of thing. And that's what Spurgeon's kind of, I think, alluding to there, too, is that uh, Bunyan without a doubt is a wallower <laughs> for quite a while, okay? But I am saying, again, is that the burden is real, though, from a theological perspective. Now, again, that awareness may be a bit later on developed, but you can look back and go, yeah, it was there. It was there. Yeah. Um, I'm with Jeff. Okay. And I don't want it to come off like I'm not offended or hurt or anything. Okay. I don't, there's a danger of seeing a cultural phenomenon and wanting to really push to make that aware. Yeah. And then by doing that, invalidating the work that God has done gradually over somebody's life. For me, yeah. I was had a very rudimentary understanding of Christianity. I had a biblical knowledge. Yeah. But nobody ever told me that it was a little I needed this individually right. a relationship. And when I was told I was like, well then I want that. That's right. what I want. It was like slipping into a warm bath. There was no right. Um, I think it was pushing me towards that. Yeah. I rudiment. I kind of fundamentally knew I was a sinner. Yeah. And then I needed a savior. Yeah. But I did not feel that. And I'll be honest, I had a lot of growth. I was drawn towards God. I read His Word. Yeah. But it took a long time for the Spirit to really sure. soften my heart. And so what I don't want to see is we have a lot of young people who are like, well. I was raised in the church. Yeah. I didn't do anything bad. But, I mean, you know, like culturally bad, whatever. I yeah. Did. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't yeah. have this huge testimony. Uh, I wasn't a drug right. Person. And I'm not. And I'm not advocating the sensationalistic. Not, yeah. Testimony. Right. Right. I want to. Right. Because of burden. I felt the weight of the burden later when I had more knowledge. Right. About what my sin really. Meant. Right. And that's what I'm saying. And I want to make sure I, I affirm what you're saying there. I agree with you. Um, I, again, this is not a, a cookie cutter kind of thing, but there has to be at some point. Again, when you come into contact or with the holiness of God, again, it's the Isaiah six thing. I know again that's Isaiah, but there is this this kind of this. The closer you get to the holiness of God, you see, whoa, what was me? You know, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so there is, there's that experiential part of that, again, where you say at some point you do understand, again, um, our, the seriousness of our sin. You know? you're, not, you're not saying it's time-dependent. No, not at all. I'm not the Holy Yeah, without a doubt, please, yeah. Take, again, well, I just want to be careful. The issue, too, is that with um, regeneration, um, try to watch what I say here because I'm... It might seem like I'm pushing back a little, but in the process of regeneration, um, sometimes in our experiences, it's um, it's all coming like a man's regenerated and he sees the beauty of Christ and all those things. At some point in that process. After you're regenerated, there will be there 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 will come a point where you do understand that you're a sinner, but sometimes it's hard to sometimes it's hard to identify where that where that is in that process, and there is an external calling that we can't leave out too. That a lot of men feel guilty. 
but they never repent. Or a lot of people find logic in the gospel, but there's never a point of true repentance. Yeah. So each person's experience can be different, but when God regenerates a man, he is going to see a sin, and he's going to maybe not, he's not going to see the great degree of that sin. I'm still seeing that every day, <laughs> the longer I grow in the Lord. But at some point, there is going to be an acknowledgement of that and a repentance of that, and sometimes we can't always identify that in, the, in that yeah. process. Okay. Go ahead, Brett. Throw it. Throw it down, man. No, I just want to say I think I think this is good. I think yeah. it is. We're not we're not pushing back on what you're saying. We're trying to. Get I'm leaving. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm a volunteer. I don't get paid for this. There's two other books. There's an entire lesson that could be done just on what's what's often referred to as crisis repentance. Yeah. Ongoing. Yeah. Which I think is really what we're trying to part. Sure. Like yeah. For me, I did have that crisis repentance. Yeah. There wasn't a sin in the Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't invalidate, you know, like hers. Right. It, as, wherever that, there's, there's like an order of salvation. Right. All of that. And but what we can all agree on is when you're regenerated, there is, there is a process of, that's, there's definitive sanctification. Right, you have been set apart for holy purposes, but then there's also ongoing right in sanctification yeah. in concert with ongoing repentance. Right, where you are by this work of the Spirit, made more and more sensitive. To right, sin. seeing it more and more for what it is and how it affects God. Yeah, yeah, good. Thank you very much, Brett. Appreciate you. Agree that it's just front loading that into the salvation act. Okay. Is what I want to clarify. And acting is if there's only one burden. I think you've all gone through yeah. points in your life where you still Christian and yeah. you realize the Lord has been slowly uncovering yeah. something that you have been and then you become again aware of, oh, I've accumulated this yeah. hidden sin and I need to go back to the cross. Right. I need to reorient myself to the gospel. Yeah. And of this particular sin, not my regenerative Repentance. Yeah. But like you said, the ongoing repentance. So I think I think the clarity was the timing of it and not sure. loading it. Right. As if that invalidates anybody who wasn't from. Yeah, it's not my job to invalidate anybody, that's God's job. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> I'm gonna move to page three now. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about something less controversial. Uh, the reaction of the main, main character's family. I wanted to show that on the, the video, and also if you read the, the actual book, uh, it's interesting. Because uh, he has uh, news to share with them, right? They're at the dinner table, apparently, and just going to, you know, looks like they're having a nice meal. And he's obviously, he's got this huge burden on his back, okay? And she apparently doesn't notice that. I mean, I was just always thought it was kind of strange. And so he's not eating. But, of course, she's saying, okay, uh, what's wrong with you? Just like a, you know, when you know your spouse, there's something wrong with them. Say, what's up? Tell me what's going on here. And uh, he says, well, I've got some bad news, okay? I am certainly informed that our city will be burned with fire from heaven. And you saw that on the video again. It's almost like apocalyptic nuclear war kind of stuff here. And... Um, I have a quote here. This is from Lectures from the Pilgrim's Progress. This is actually taken from Spurgeon, if I remember correctly. It says, The city of destruction. Uh, we are all inhabitants of it. No one needs to ask, where is it? What is it? Who, who are its people? Alas, our world of sin is the city of destruction. 
and we know of a certainty from God's word that is to be burned up, and that if we do not escape from it, though we may die at, die at peace in it before its conflagration, is that right, conflagration, yet to be found with its spirit uh, in our souls when we die is to be forever miserable. And I, and I always thought that was intriguing, again, is this idea of the city of destruction, of course, is metaphorical, but at the same time, obviously, spiritually, it's true, all right? Um, I always kind of try to analyze uh, the world I live in, so to speak. I look at the culture. I'm a child of the 70s, for example. Uh, born in the 60s, grew up in the 70s, into the, uh, and so a lot of my, my grid, so to speak, culturally, is from that time period, you know? And I always kind of, I look back on the, the America I grew up, in, grew up in, you know, it was, even though we had disco, which was a sin, <laughs> yeah, there was, there was, um, Good things, you know. America was, you know, even though we had Jimmy Carter. Eventually, Reagan will take over in the '80s, and um, the um, there was a, a positive view about society. There was hope. There was a general feeling again that America things were generally pretty good, right? And um, then it's interesting as a Christian, you know, me tr trying to figure out the world that I live in. You know, do I do I like it or do I hate it? And I know that's being too simplistic again. I'll get a big argument going on here because it's both. Right? It's both because God created you know, the world and, it's, and you need to appreciate that and see that and understand that. But at the same time, again, when we talk about the world system, the world system, the godlessness, and the, the, it talks about the satanic influence and so on, it's a sea of destruction. All right? And I always thought, again, is that how, if, I, if I can balance those two views, I mean, I'm just giving you two, maybe there's more than just two, you know, how do we navigate that in our day-to-day -day lives? Because again, for, for uh, Christian, he realizes again that I'm condemned by my sin, by my burden. Um, I need to find some kind of rescue. Um, I, and, um, but everybody else is in danger too. Everybody else is in danger too. And this judgment's coming. And again, how should that motivate us in the way that we live our, daily, our, real, our daily lives every single day? Other than thinking like we look at the world and go, you know, it's not too bad. You know, maybe God was going to delay his judgment or God's going to not do something long after I'm gone. Are you following what I'm saying here? There's a sense of urgency in the Christian life where, again, we realize, again, is that, um, that people are going to die in their sins, right? And then comes judgment, right? And the world that we live in, again, is permeated with, with we're, we're a fallen race, we're a fallen world, and... Uh, and I don't have to convince you now because you live in this time period now, um, that whether it's economically, politically, whatever it may be, again, we're seeing this, all these signs, again, of that something's wrong, right? Anyone, anyone want to throw in on that a little bit? Because I don't want to start another, hit a hornet's nest here, but, um, right? Because it's pretty strong language. See, destruction is pretty, pretty strong imagery there. Okay, Jeff, what do you want to say, Jeff? Come on, I can see you. Nothing. No, you were saying. You want to say anything? Uh, should I? <laughs> okay. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. All right. So the point, of course, is that if you are um, in Christ again, you're on the pilgrimage. You've left the city of destruction. Okay. Even though we're in the world, but not of the world. Right. Praise the Lord. Okay. And we are on that journey towards a celestial city. But again, the, the world we still live in is still characterized by God's judgment uh, and by um, sin and by the curse. Uh, i got a quote here from uh, Lloyd-Jones. got to throw a good Lloyd-Jones quote in here. Yeah. And the Christian is a man who expects nothing from this world. Interesting. He does not pin his hopes on it because he knows it is doomed. 
Okay, so again, he's pretty uh, pretty clear on his view on that. Um, lots of verses that tie into this with the word uh, judgment or wrath and so on. Uh, going back to the Psalms, God will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment on the peoples with equity. Uh, then you have, of course, from Peter. You've got to go to Peter as far as we talk about uh, the, uh, God's judgment. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and the works will be burned up. That's why you kind of saw the imagery there of the fire keep coming right there. Um, since these things are to be destroyed in this way, this is a kind of a reaction, a response to this. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Right. And then I, I like, love the next one too here. This is uh, from uh, First, uh, First Thessalonians 5. For yourself, you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with a child and they will not escape, right? And there's lots and lots of verses that are like this. Again, reminding us again that our time is short, you know, uh, that we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Uh, the Lord can come like a thief in the night uh, and that we are to, again, uh, keep that in mind. Now, let's talk about the family. The family, the family, the family. Um, I have actually the quote here from the book and it says, his family was amazed at his words. Not because they believed him. That's what we saw in the video. You know, it's like when he says that, you can see the, you know, the way the wife says it. He, he has this look of relief, like, oh, she, she, she understands. She buys it. I'm, I'm great. Okay? No. Um, not because they believed what he said, but they, because they thought he was mentally deranged. Since it was almost night and they, they hoped that sleep would, might settle his mind, they got him to bed as quickly as they could. But the night was as troublesome for him as the day. Instead of sleeping, he lay awake sighing and crying so that when morning came and they asked him how he felt, he told them, worse and worse. He began talking to them in the same vein again. Thinking they could drive away his madness with harsh behavior, they began to make fun of him, to scold him, and sometimes even to ignore him. Okay, this is a really intriguing thing, right? Um, so just by, uh, you know, by way of relating this, uh, I don't know how many of you were born, I mean, you became Christians uh, in a non-Christian family. Okay, I know I did. My, I'm first generation. Okay, so um, I remember I became a Christian. The Lord saved me when I was a teenager, about 14, 15 years old. And I remember I was so excited. I was so zealous, you know, and, and, uh, and I wanted to share that with my mom and my, my family. And I remember uh, I was kind of uh, bugging my mom, talking to her about it, because I just wanted to share what was going on in my life and so on. And I remember at some point, I guess I just got her so uh, flabbergasted, um, she just kind of turned to me and said, this is just a phase you'll grow out of. Because from her experience, um, she, had, um, she was a nominal Christian, and she kind of did all that and basically walked away. She wasn't saved to begin with, but... Her thing now was that, you know, I've gone, uh, I, the word mentally deranged has been used by me, uh, against me in some ways, um, that I'm a radical. I'm a radical man. <laughs> Jesus freak! Right? <laughs> yes. And so um, I don't know if you ever had those experiences within your own family. Again, they just don't get it. They don't understand. They, they, they look at you and think, again, something's wrong with you. Right? And it's not just the words you say, but again, it's the life you start living now is so such in contrast to the way that they're living or the, the, the values that they have, they're again, they're, they're, they're going to reject you, 
right? And I know there's no Bible verses about that. Um, so in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 36, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring uh, peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man, man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now that's a tough verse. Yes? So, what he's going to do? So you saw in the video and in the uh, in the book, he basically is getting nowhere with his family, um, and so he go, basically he goes back outside again, and he's and he's just uh, he's just he's desperate. He's just cr- he's reading the book. He's crying and saying, "What shall I do? What shall I do? What shall I do?" God steps in. Now he already gave provide the book, but he sends a guy named Evangelist. Okay, right on the nose there, Evangelist. Okay, and of course you have Matthew twenty eight, the Great Commission, and so on and so forth. And Evangelist comes up to him and says, why are you crying? And Evangelist does not try to explain or soothe the main character's sorry condition. There's only one remedy. And so basically says he hands him a document, a scroll, and says, flee from the wrath to come. Flee from the wrath to come. All right? And then uh, basically then Christian goes like, where? Where do I go? Uh, flee. Flee where? Which direction? And then I love the, the next exchange. I think I don't know if I got it on here. Uh, it's pretty much, he says, uh, he points to these mountains and says, do you see the, the wicked gate? And he goes, no, I can't see it. All right, it's too far off. And he says, do you see a light? And then he goes, eh, I think I kind of see that. And he just says, run, go, okay? And so that's the, 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 the drama of the next scene here where here's this guy with this huge burden on his back. I don't know how fast he's moving. Probably not too fast, okay? Uh, maybe he's waddling, I don't know. But he starts heading off, all right? Now on p- page five here, Page five, uh, on the very top there, of course, uh, the, the, let's talk about the wicked gate for a minute here. The, uh, the, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. By the way, a wicked gate, I had to actually look this up. This is an English thing, apparently. apparently. Um, and it's actually a gate, a type of gate. It's not a wicked gate. It's a, like, oh, that's a bad gate. No, it's a wicked gate, all right? Um, but you want to enter by the narrow or wicked gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small that leads to life, and few are those who find it. And I just have a little side note there too, of course, is that um, just like Mark this morning talked about, you know, every Christian, Christian is an ambassador. Yeah, every time when people come into the church, uh, we are to welcome them, we are to reach out to them, we're to, 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 um, to um, share Christ with them in some form or fashion. So we're, everyone's an evangelist, everyone's, and we all know that. Okay? And again, uh, every person's a theologian, name a book and also every Christian of course is an evangelist and wants to share the gospel 2 Corinthians 5 and other places uh, support that now real quickly um, I love the next line there this is in the middle of the, par- the, the page on page 5 so I saw in my dream that the man began to run now he had not run far from his own door when his wife and his children saw him and began to cry out for him to return but the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying life life eternal life okay this is high drama here Right. So again, he's heading off. He says, flee from the wrath to come. He has a general idea which direction to go. He starts, his, his family, those who are nearest to him, try to pull him back and say, don't go, don't go, doe. You're crazy. Okay. And he's and the point of where he has to take his fingers, put them in his ears, and just scream, life, life, eternal life. Okay. That's great. Okay. That's fantastic. Okay. But it's also showing, again, the sacrifice he's willing to make. Now, spoiler here, 
there's a book too <laughs> where the family follows him all right Christine Christiana it's Christiana Christine. yeah and the children uh, follow after him so they'll they'll be following uh, so get there. okay now he so he's running he's running trying to run and then there's two people so everybody's watching him essentially it's kind of like he's a like a, it's a scandal kind of thing you know all the neighbors are like, what's this crazy dude doing now we've got a runner you know uh, <laughs> and so the neighbors also came out to find out what in the heck's going on and they came out to see him run and as he ran some mocked some others threatened and some cried for him to return now among those who did so there were two that were determined to fetch him back by force the name of one was obstinate, and the other was named Pliable. Now, this, by this time, the man was a good distance ahead of them. However, they resolved to pursue him, and they did in a little while, and they overtook him. So now you got these, 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 this pair. And it's interesting, again, there's a lot of pairs in uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And it's always interesting because I always picture, uh, you know, in popular culture here, I always think of, like Abbott Costello. Right, you know, some of you know Abba Costello, right? Okay, now, there's certain uh, 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 Laurel and Hardy, all right? I'm going way back now. Yeah, he does. Okay, um, and so these two individuals, again, uh, pliable and obstinate, okay? And so here they come, and obstinate, again, is exactly what you think he is. He represents a person who's strong willed, stubborn, worldly, and adamantly rejects the things of God. Okay, so again, this is the individual who, again, is just adamant, again, that the Bible's not true, uh, why would you do this, this is stupid, and uh, I'm not going to, uh, to buy into it. And then I have a little quote there from uh, Pilgrim who says here, uh, what, leave our family and friends behind us? Nonsense. I don't care about your book, and basically you're crazy. Um, I have a little quote here from Proverbs 14.12, there's a way that which seems right to a person, but its end is the, uh, is the way that leads to death. Right? And of course, in our culture, there's lots and lots of people who are obstinate to the things of God. Right? They're adamant, again, that it's false, it's true, it's crazy, and it's going to lead them to ultimately eternal death. Um, also, too, you at the very bottom there, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Um, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will thwart the cleverness of the, the intelligent. Where is the wise man? Where is the expert in the Mosaic law? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made, not made the wisdom of this world foolish? For, for since in the wisdom of God, the world by its wisdom did not know God, God was pleased to save those, uh, to be, who, those who believe by the foolishness of preaching. For Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks ask for wisdom, but we preach about, about a crucified Christ, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength, 1 Corinthians 18 through 25. Now, pliable is a total opposite of obstinate. Okay, pliable is, is I almost think of gum, Gumby. Some of you know who Gumby is. Shame on you if you don't know who Gumby is. Thank you very much. Right, okay. You can bend him anyway. All right. Okay, all right. Thank you. Okay. Um, he, and so basically, he, he goes whichever the wind wave blows, okay? He, he'll believe anything, okay? He's uh, so open-minded, his brains fall out. And he says, uh, perhaps you're right. Don't be so critical. What if good Christian says it's true? Then the things he seeks are, are better than ours. My heart is inclined to go with him. So Pio appears to be interested in the benefits of salvation, but yet does not possess a burden similar to Christians. And this is another thing, too, again, about the thing about sometimes people, you know, the reasons why people are religious, a lot of times they're in it, they're in it for the benefits, but again, they're not saved, all right? Um, we, see, we see this a lot of times. 
now pliable wants to know okay so again well, let me just give a, give a recap here so the two individuals catch up with with uh, with christian they said we're here to bring you back even by force which i thought would be interesting okay and so christian begins talking with them and basically says, look you need to read the book Okay, read the book, and you'll see again what I'm saying is true. And often says, I don't even want to care about your stupid book. Okay, come, are you going to come back or not? And Christian says, no. And the option says, good, I'm gone. Boom, he heads back. Pliable has been listening and basically goes, well, maybe what you're saying is true. Okay, um, so I think I'm going to follow along with you to, on this journey. And as they're walking along, Pliable wants to know about, about the celestial city. <coughs> so Christian is, and I, one thing I love about Pilgrim's Progress, that you have these descriptions of heaven. Right, which I like. Okay, I want to hear a lot about heaven. Okay, just like with Revelation, right? I want to hear a lot about heaven. Can we talk a lot about hell? Okay, but again, the whole thing of the blessing of heaven. And so here again, Christian's going to introduce this. Do Bun? You know, going to do this? Um, an eternal kingdom inhabited by those who possess eternal life. An eternal kingdom inhabited by those who possess eternal life. Um, the, a degree of God's glory enjoyed by those who dwell in heaven. Crowns of glory and garments will make us shine like the sun. And you have some verses that support that. Uh, the next one I really like too, there'll be no more crying nor sorrow. Okay, I love that in Revelation. I love that. Okay, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, right? Um, and he, he who is the owner of this place will wipe all tears from our eyes. And then also a holy assembly before the throne of God. And again, that's the, we're basically, we're, we're, we're uh, practicing for heaven. Right. This is our des- This is what we're going to be doing in heaven. Is worship, right? And it's a holy assembly. I love that. I, I, I think about heaven a lot, especially because I'm getting older and I think about dying a lot more. You know. But I. Do, but the whole thing, I do think about the blessing of heaven. How wonderful it's going to be. All right. And so this holy assembly before the throne of God, and uh, and Bunyan's going to talk about describe it here, is that, uh, which is taken from the book of Revelation. Uh, there we shall be with the seraphim and cherubim, uh, creatures that will dazzle your eyes to look upon. There you shall also meet with thousands and ten thousands that have traveled ahead of us to that place. None of them are unkind, but rather loving and holy. Everyone walking in the sight of God and standing in his presence with everlasting acceptance. In a word, there, there we shall see the elders with their golden crowns. There we shall see the holy virgins with their golden harps. There we shall see men who were by this present uh, world cut in pieces, burnt in flames, eaten by beasts, drowned in the sea because of the love which they maintain for the Lord of, this, of the place all well and clothed with the garment of, Im- of immorality. Immortality, excuse me, different word. Immortality. So um, Pliable goes, that sounds great. Let's go. In fact, on top of it, he says, like, you know what? It's so great. Let's speed up the process. Let's get there a little bit faster. And then Christian basically says, well, I've got a problem because if you haven't noticed, I've got this huge weight on my back and I can't move too fast. And that leads us into basically they're, they're walking, 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 and they're not paying attention, and they fall into this bog, okay, or swamp. Um, and I have to stop now. So <laughs> we'll get into this next week.